0: Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stutter will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators like Jamie and Tom often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever. Perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. I'm Tom Stuttert And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And we're really excited today to venture into something a little bit different. We're calling these our Getting Practical with Your Pivots. And this is an opportunity for us to talk through some key pieces of advice that we have as we've experienced the transition from a campus-based position to either higher education adjacent or a corporate role. As you start to think about doing this for yourself, We wanted to make sure that we're providing you some advice on some very practical topics, things like cultural differences, resume building, interviewing, job searching, compensation, et cetera. We're going to start today's podcast with the cultural differences. And we decided to do this one because we felt like it was really important for those of us who have transitioned out of higher education to really start to think about what's different in an office environment. And I always shared the story that when I first arrived to my very first corporate position, I arrived to an office building, had to take an elevator up to the ninth floor. And that was the first time in my career that I had taken an elevator to my office because I'd always worked in a student union building or a campus center. And this felt very corporate, and the cultural differences were very, very magnified when I walked into that corporate setting for the very first time. There were no students sitting around. There wasn't the campus hub and bub that we typically feel uh, when we're walking on campus. I didn't walk past a stadium in order to get to my office. I literally parked in a parking facility and took an elevator up to the ninth floor. Jamie, what was it like for you when you first transitioned out of higher ed? Because I know your your situation is a little different working remote.
2: It it is funny actually, because with regard to the physical change, when you when I hear you talking about the first time you took an elevator, the first time I took an elevator to go to work was actually when I was a faculty member at USC, because I worked in the Rossier School of Education at, in the Wait, Wait Phillips. Building. That's what it's called, right? That's correct. For those that. of us who
1: graduated from USC, we just called it WPH.
2: <laughs> well, I did not graduate uh, from USC. I graduated from the better university across town, UCLA.
0: <laughs> Tom no is just
2: taking a drink right now. No comment breath- at all. He's breathing through it. But <laughs> at any rate, my experience with a physical location was unique because I worked from home. Uh, when I pivoted from my full-time faculty t- position to working uh, adjacent to higher ed, I was remote, and I my um, company's home office is based in New York, and so I have had the opportunity to go you know, see folks in person, and we get together sporadically throughout the year, but that was a huge adjustment for me both kind of like in the positive way and in a challenging way because what you described Tom about like the no hubbub i think are the words that you used and i kind of wanted to make fun of you when you said it but didn't and but you know had to, had to bring it back but you're right the the buzz or whatever you want to call it of the campus environment was definitely not at home instead was you know my kids singing whatever is on the tv or musical or whatever which you might hear during this episode but but you know what what came with that too was a lot of flexibility which I really enjoyed
1: yeah and obviously the physicality and the physical space of working for a company who has who is located or headquartered in an office building is very different and there's there's a lot more right there's there's more to the story than just that first day when you arrive that to me was just the very first uh, signal! Oh, my life is going to be different now. That I wasn't uh, amongst students. I wasn't uh, amongst that hubbub <laughs> or, <laughs> or or campus buzz that we typically yeah. feel on a college campus. And it was hard. That that transition was hard for me. Those first couple of days, I missed "quote unquote" the noise that that I felt. You know, with students coming in and out of my office setting all the time. I, I worked in in a student development office. And so there was multiple professionals in one setting. And I missed the, the, the constant opening of the door and watching students come in and out and asking for help. And, and that was different. And, and the physical space is just one, one thing when it comes to culture, but there's a lot more. And the idea for this episode is to really help everyone who is listening think about those types of differences, because I don't think we typically think about it as we're Thinking about making the pivot out of a campus-based position. We either glorify the opportunity to move to corporate, or we think perhaps that we've given everything that we can to our campus-based position or higher education or student affairs or whatever the case may be. And we don't realize it really is a little bit different when we we make that transition. And so today's episode is really just for Jamie and I to walk you through some some of our pieces of advice but we're also looking for you to provide some of your advice. And so we certainly encourage you to email us at pivotingoutofedu@gmail.com. at gmail.com, some of the things that you've experienced, and we'll make sure that we collect those and share those in our last episode of the season. So with that, Jamie, why don't you kick us off? What's, what's the first piece of advice that you have that's maybe not physical space related?
2: Yeah, well, and I I think I thought of one thing to add to the physical space related, because it's interesting, because normally, pre COVID, when people talk to me about the differences between on ground, or on campus positions and off, I've had a lot of conversation about remote work. And that seems to be somewhat negated, or not as necessary now, because most people have had this experience of remote work through COVID. But it is still an adjustment when you're thinking through doing it permanently. And one of the things that I will just add is that many companies that have a distributed workforce do tend to prioritize some sort of face-to-face interaction. I always find this interesting that they're called off-sites because like we don't actually go on-site. Like we don't, go to the location but even when i first pivoted out the company i work for was really small and we would have an off-site but we did actually have it on site in our office in new york but anyway now now we get together once a year or more obviously barring covid and that really makes a huge difference so for folks who are thinking about like i don't know if i'd want to do that permanently As you are searching for positions, do consider asking, like, how do you bring your team together? What kinds of funds are allocated for that in-person engagement? I always say that what I really miss in working remotely is the space in between. And what I mean by that is, like, in the hallway while you're walking to a meeting, you get that quick catch-up session. Or you see someone sitting in a room on their own eating their lunch, and you can pop in and have Lunch with them, or as a faculty member, I'd get you know there early to classes, stay after, and it's it's the space in between, sometimes called water cooler, but I think it's the space in between that you have to really work hard to create in a, a remote environment. So think about asking employers about that. And now transitioning or pivoting, as we like to say, to to another huge difference. Well, I don't know. Yeah, no, this one is huge. I really, really enjoy the fact that the pace of change is much faster, as well as just the pace of the work is often much faster. Deliverables, you know, are expected by a certain date. We have to set that date. You know, you want to hold to that date. Many companies have project management software that's tracking everybody's completion and the percent of completion. And so you You can feel like you have to move faster. I think a lot of student affairs people create their own project management systems. Like I didn't even know what I was doing was project management, but it really was. but the the pace is faster. And you know, I remember being frustrated on campus on campuses where I really saw this great opportunity for change, and my supervisor and the person above them did too. But, We knew the college environment you need to have, you know, let's get a committee together that's representative of all units on the campus. And let's start meeting to plan the change. And then, you know, like a year later, maybe you get to actually start seeing some of this come to fruition. And I will say in my role, we can, especially if it's just something that impacts our company individually and not our partners, we can change something overnight if we want to. Whenever it's something that impacts our students or our partners, then we're actually leaning into the same socialization process for things. And we have to be realistic. And I often have to remind my colleagues, like let's just remember it's going to take quite some time to make this change. So that's the pace is faster um, key points uh, that I wanted to make.
1: Yeah. I agree with you, Jamie. The, 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 the days of, pulling together a committee to plan something and spend a year investigating whether or not that was a good idea are not going to be something that you experience in a corporate role. And it sounds like even if it's a higher education adjacent role, the, the speed is, is just much quicker. I have said many a time I can make a decision at 8 a.m. and we have it implemented by lunchtime that same day and that was never the case when i worked in higher education because you really sought to get buy-in from that entire from the entire campus and it's not to say that we don't get buy-in from our peers in the corporate world but it just feels much faster to be able to get that 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 buy-in from the people whether it be you know other divisions of the company or uh, your boss or whatever the case may be if you've got a good idea and you can prove that it is something that will drive results, then it's it's going to be usually green lighted very quick or green lit very quick. I, you know, I wanted to build on the pace. And while the pace is faster, one of the one of the things that is much more evident in both corporate and higher education adjacent, and I would imagine in nonprofit is as well, is how important the quantifiable metrics are. So our second our second point here, our second piece of advice is to really think about how you could quantify your success. Uh, that will lead into better resume, better interviewing, which we'll get to in another practical pivot. But certainly, when you make the pivot, those metrics are key, and you must have a results based approach. And I always chuckle, and Jamie, I know you did your dissertation on assessment and worked on on several assessment committees, but I always felt like we were doing a good job of assessing our work. When I worked in student affairs, we had the assessment committee for the division. I was on it. We actually had, when I worked at USC, an annual assessment conference for student affairs where people presented their results. And it was was great. In the moment, we thought we are making a difference. And we were, right? Certainly the impact that we were having on our students was there. But it's much harder to quantify those end results when you work in student affairs or or in a campus-based position because you're dealing with learning outcomes. And it's always hard, no matter what we say, to quantify learning. You know, it's why I think there's a a difficulty with sort of the test-taking mentality that we have uh, even in our K through 12 schools, is because it's difficult to quantify whether or not somebody has learned something and it can be a bit, it can feel a bit messy when we're doing never
2: mind never mind growth and development right that's like that's really hard to operationalize and measure and then attribute to the broader goal of uh retention and graduation
1: right yeah absolutely But in in the corporate world, and and Jamie, I'd certainly welcome your thoughts on this as well. In the corporate world, we're really looking at top line results. And that is everything that we do is measured to those top line results. And for me at the company that I work at, that's revenue. That is the number of dollars that come in. We are a profit-based company. We are a public company and we have not only shareholders, but we have customers, and we need to make sure that we're bringing in money in order to do the things that we need to do and, and prove that we are a profitable company to our shareholders and our investors. And so it's it's really easy to draw the line. If, if we're not bringing in revenue, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And if what we're doing in the world of, you know, I work on the post-sale side, which I'm not necessarily bringing in revenue, but if I'm not contributing to ongoing revenue, whether that be through you know, our customers renewing or having a good experience, then it's really easy to say, that's not contributing, cut it. And everything that I produce on a, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis ties back to the, the objectives that we set that tie to, to revenue. Now, I know, Jamie, you have mentioned a couple of times that you know it's not just revenue for you, but you also look at, Retention goals and persistence goals, particularly in your program and and at the campus. But even those are numbers, right? You can quantify those. And so if if it's not a super clear line that you've achieved something, then it's not going to fly in the corporate world. And that's not true on the college campus.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's very much true and I mean we I do have different metrics that I am, you know, working toward achieving which are more similar to what we talk about in higher ed like retention and graduation. But at the end of the day, yes, I mean I work at a business that is for profit that has to make profit to keep its doors open the particular business model I I work under is geared toward trying to keep the cost down for students to get their their graduate degrees or undergrad degrees. And so we do often, you know, have to really try to make sure that we're being appropriate with our money. And it pushes us even more to say, what is the value add of X, Y, Z? Like, how is this really going to benefit the the goals of the company, um, inclusive of the financial goals. It is funny as you're talking, it's just I I think to myself, a, a lot of times it is this topic that causes some angst, I think, you know, when you talk to people in campus based positions, especially since I work adjacent. And I'll go to NASPA or talk to people in student affairs. And there's almost like this feeling of like distrust, like I'm going to try and sell them something because I'm there, you know, for profit, which, you know, it just, my role is not on the sales team at all. But, and I think I was probably like that when I worked on campuses, but at the end of the day, it's weird that campuses don't function like this because, you know, and maybe it'll get more real because sadly now we're seeing campuses close because enrollment's not there. And it's just the same thing right now in in my workplace. If we don't have enrollment, or if we lose a bunch of students, the the company could be largely impacted in your world. If you're not making the revenue, the company could be largely impacted. And it really is the same on campus. But I think that we just take for granted that it's just always going to exist. And sadly, I'm, you know, we're, we're seeing universities close across the nation or can Combined together because of the finances not not being there because of low enrollment.
1: Yeah. And I I remember once when I was leading an orientation program at USC, the assistant vice president for student affairs at the time wrapped up the orientation with the parents. And I always, I was always a part of that track. And he said, Thank you for sending us your most prized possession. We realize that you are paying almost a quarter of a million dollars to send your student here for the next four years. Now while those of us in student affairs don't necessarily see that that you know that that dollar amount hit our budgets, but the the business of the university is based on that tuition revenue. I sat in various meetings where we would talk about you know the tuition increases year over year in order to make sure that the campus had an operating budget that uh, sustained year over year based on the services that, one, we wanted to provide, as well as the services that were federally mandated to provide. And so you're right. At the end of the day, the college campus, were we were revenue-based too. And, you know, I worked more on the enrollment side, which is probably easier to draw a line between revenue and the goals of the university, because we needed to enroll a certain number of students. And it was Always, I remember always on you know May 1st when students would officially certify whether or not they were coming to the university that I worked at or a different one. It was always sort of that give and take, which you know then determined whether our operating budget was going to be met or if we were going to have to reduce, uh, increase fees or increase tuition the next year. And it's similar at at, a, at the corporate environment. You know, yeah. again, metrics and results are key. And that's really the case at the university too. We just might shield ourselves a little bit in the student affairs world, but that is happening. The, the university, yeah. and I know that this is going to be sort of sacrilegious for some people to hear, but the university is a business. It, it mm-hmm. has to be able to sustain itself year over year in order for students to get through, us to maintain work, et cetera. So I think you're right in, 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 in sort of calling that piece out.
2: Yeah, and the last thing I'll I'll say is that I I also think, you know, universities get stuck in in a negative way, but also in a positive way, traditions and doing things that they have always done and not really leaning into what is the measurable impact of this initiative. Like, should we really be doing this? Or, you know, like I used to oversee leadership development programs and and I used to think, you know, this is a this is great and I really enjoy the idea that we can build le- a leadership curriculum or co-curriculum, but I did also think it'd be great if this was woven into the curriculum. You know, it, that just made a lot of sense. But anyway, clearly we're both assessment nerds, so we could talk about this a long time. And I do have to just tell everyone, I actually really liked USC. I just like to give Tom a hard time because obviously it's rivals, but I had a great experience there. I met many, many wonderful colleagues. So,
1: well, and, and I have just as much respect <laughs> for my, my colleagues across the city at UCLA. I always said that, you, that the city of Los Angeles was always blessed because we had two premier universities in our backyard, as well as yeah. many other institutions of higher education. Uh, it just so happened that both of them were really highly rated and competitive with each other in that world yes. of sports.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I'm so like not connected to sports. My husband will be like, oh, the Bruins won the other day. They're doing really well. So, But I still like to give Tom a hard time for whatever I can, just so, just so that's clear as listeners hear us throughout the season. All right. Another difference and something to think about as you are considering this pivot and potentially interviewing is work schedules. Sometimes, but not always, they are more flexible. And that's definitely something that you're going to want to really ask about and understand. And I personally think it's appropriate to ask about that through the interview process because you need to remember this is not just about them interviewing you. This is about you interviewing them. There there are possibly some companies that are that for whatever the business functionality is, they need a 8 to 5, 9 to 5. This is what it's going to be. Similarly, there's some positions that might demand that. And then on the other hand, there's positions that especially as I think you ascend up to leadership positions that, you know, much like campus-based positions, if you're a vice president, I know Tom and I can both emphasize this, but as a vice president for the company, I mean, we, we, we work a lot and we work often night and weekends. A lot of that is by choice because we have a sense of ownership of our units, but look, it's still a lot. And so it's still worth asking about. I will say, you know, what's great is I do think now with COVID, there's I have seen a lot more companies being willing to because they see and have, seen and have now consumed the research about uh, effectiveness and satisfaction and the return on investment of not having to pay $8,000 a month for an office building. They're allowing more employees to work even fully remotely or even in a hybrid model. So make sure to ask about that. And, you know, like I always say, I don't, I don't know if you have like your goal or dream modality, Tom. So I'll, I'll, I'm curious of that, but my dream modality would be to go to have an office that is close enough that I could go in two days a week. Cause I would love to have the synergy of being around everyone and then being able to work from home three days a week. I'm not like super sad that I don't have that, but I just, after doing this now for almost four years. That would be sort of my like dream world.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's funny. And I think that this is a very personal conversation for folks, right? Because it's based on your circumstances. You know, Jamie, I know that, you know, you have a partner, you have two small little girls who are in grade school, who, for those of you who don't know, I absolutely adore and they call me Uncle Tom, because I absolutely love them. But, you know, for me, I'm single, I live alone. And so for you, the hybrid model sounds more ideal because of your circumstances and your family situation. I will say for the last year, I have missed going into the office on a daily basis. And when we reopen, if we reopen in a hybrid model or a, a, you know some sort of you, know, you can choose your own adventure model, I will choose to go back to the office five days a week because I miss the people. It, part of what I enjoy about going to the office are the relationships that I've built and continue to build with with people that that are brought in and because i I live alone it's it's been very difficult the last year to be fully remote now there are days don't don't get me wrong that I love waking up and three minutes later I can sit at my laptop and have something you know ha- have some some work going on without having to stumble to the office but I do miss the people and so my preferred modality will definitely be you know sort of a, a full return to the office but what I will say is that I think that people can choose to be productive in a way that makes sense for them. And I think companies, like you said, Jamie, are starting to, to pick up on that lesson, particularly with the research that's come out as a result of COVID. You know, I wanna, I wanna sort of keep the conversation about work schedules going and sort of let that blend into our next piece of advice, which is work schedules are often different or have different modalities, but the work cycle is also really different. In academics, we know it's it's typically a year. And whether you're on a semester system or a quarter system, things are very cyclical. You have very defined milestones. And that was something I really appreciated when I worked in higher education. Every August, the school opened and you had that sense of campus opening and that excitement. And, and I will say the buzz of campus opening was always my favorite time of year, which is probably why I worked in orientation and, and welcome programs. You know, football season was always in the fall. Basketball season was always, you know, stretching from the winter into, into March madness. Uh, you had very specific holidays. Everything was very cyclical. You knew when exams were going to be, et cetera. But in corporate, and particularly where I work, and Jamie, I welcome your thoughts related to the higher education uh, adjacent space. In corporate, we are month to month, quarter to quarter, and annual to annual. And, and when I say that, it means that you know, the, it's not an annual cycle. It's really a monthly cycle. I work for an organization that is primarily a sales organization. And so the joke is always for our salespeople, you may be at the top of the leaderboard on the last day of the month, but guess what? On the first day of the month, you're back at zero and you got to start all over again. And that's because, again, it's a month to month cycle because the way in which we judge our, ourselves because we are revenue based is what did you bring in this month? you know, my CEO, and one of the things he says quite a bit, and and at first I, I was taken aback by it, but now I've really adopted it is, we will pat ourselves on the back when we've done something well, but we will immediately move on to the next thing in our list of things to do because we've got to tackle the next project. We've got to tackle the next obstacle. We've got to tackle the next challenge. So we don't waste a lot of time saying, oh, great, 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 great. We did such a wonderful job. We move right to the next thing because our customers are dependent on that. And so- because of the way we publish our results, the way we announce our results, and, and I work for a public company, and, and those results are published annually in investor calls and analyst calls, everything is very cyclical in a month-to-month versus a year-to-year. You know, we don't have football season, we don't have orientation, we don't have the same type of system that the higher education world does.
2: Yeah, I think I I can see that, and it, it's actually been interesting in my experience because when I I first made the pivot, the company I worked for actually focused more on month to month and quarter to quarter, and I was I was like always having to Google. Wait, when does the second quarter end? Because my brain was so wired to like, all right, mid May is when you know the summer starts, and so I had to make that pivot. But the interesting thing is that over the last year or so. We've actually completely changed our metrics now and on our, well, some work streams, I should should clarify, some work streams are, have faster change, like recruitment, but, you know, there's a regular cycle of recruitment and bringing students in. We recruit students three times a year, and so, you know, there can be students who deposit today for the fall, et cetera, so those, there's a lot of change there. And so much like you described your like monthly goals, et cetera, there's definitely that taking place in some work streams where I work. But by and large, I am still thinking semester by semester. You know what? You you mentioned something about the celebrations and then like move on because there's the next thing. And that's been something that has been brought up in my company like we don't we need to more celebrate our accomplishments and we had kind of talked about the fact that maybe the reason why we're not as good about doing that is because we're we've been at startup mode and there's always more to do but you know one thing I thought about is like and this is good kind of like uh to emphasize the next point that's different but there is no natural quote-unquote ending now, I know when you work in orientation, because I did as well for, for three years, there's not really like an ending because like this, the summer is your beginning. And then if you do new student programs, it never ends. And we we get that right. But a lot of folks on college campuses have this natural culminating experience at the end of the year. In fact, it's even symbolized with graduation, right? Like it's a it's a celebration event. And People have all of the things where they acknowledge each other. There's award ceremonies and the like. And I think because in the business world, we don't have a natural ending, it is harder to figure out how to punctuate our work with celebrations. But that, that is a good segue to say um, something to be prepared for and to think about when you're looking to make the pivot is there's much like there's no sort of ending, quote unquote, there's really not much of a a distinct downtime. Most businesses run 365 days a year with a sprinkling of holidays where it's officially shut down. So when you are negotiating your package, which we will talk about on another episode, you know, you do want to think about the quantity of vacation days and you need to be very realistic that if you're used to leaving during winter break and going to see your family for three weeks, um, which I know like student affairs folks, you get a limited amount of of vacation days as well. But one of the things is, is the work continues. So, you know, if you take three weeks off, you're going to miss a lot. And it, and quite frankly, someone else literally has to do what your job when you're out. So it's it's hard to take that amount of time. People do it, but it is, it is tricky. It's also been, I mean, this part for me has been tricky that it's, it, because there's no clear downtime, it's hard to find the right time to refresh. I have found in my role working adjacent, which I'm curious of how this works for you, Tom, but I have found that by and large universities, you know, they, they really, they don't really want to even engage in conversations over winter break time period. Like they're busy, they're home. The summer's different, right? Because they're like willing to like meet with us a lot and plan for the year, and so that it's quite busy over the summer, especially as we prep for fall. But during winter break, the conversation's like, no, they're not really interested. And that that has now lent itself to a, re, a relief as far as the frequency of work and the, the expectations, et cetera. So that's been really nice over the last couple of years, just really taking that time to rejuvenate.
1: Yeah it's it's interesting that you say that. I do think that there are companies out there and I know we have customers that are like this that that will close, you know, typically that week between uh, between Christmas and New Year's for those celebrate that. But I will say when I started at the company that I'm at now, Christmas Eve is not even a holiday and certainly not the day after Christmas and certainly not the last day of the year. Again, we're a sales company, a huge chunk of our revenue actually comes in at the end of December and we count on that revenue. And I was working remote on this, uh, this past New Year's Eve. And I was I was working remote from Arizona. And I will tell you, I was up at 5am and didn't go didn't log off until probably about 8 or 9pm because we were tracking our results. Now we the company produced a big sort of online New Year's Eve celebration as we track those results. But even a couple of years ago when we were in office, I remember I oversaw customer support. And one of the things that we did in customer support was activate new users who had just purchased access to our platform. Well, when you have thousands of new users come on on the last day of the year, we were staying until eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night on December 31st in order to make sure that those people who had bought access had access in that moment. There was no such thing as a New Year's Eve for us. And so the, you're right. The downtime is very different. It's the, the business is going on even on holidays. You know, I know that, that our sales team, even on holidays, will will push contracts through in order to get that deal done, which then means that those of us on the post-sale side, the customer support and customer experience side, we react to that very quickly. And so you're right. The downtime is, is a little different and uh, it's a really good point. One of the things that I think, you know, to, to pivot a little bit that I think is interesting and I love that, that we we came upon this point, is I, as I think about my career and campus-based positions, I worked at, I think, six different colleges, and universities in 20 years. And the reason that I did that is because, and, and you all know this, in order to move up, you have to move on, right? There's only one dean of students, there's only one director of orientation, there's only one vice president for student affairs. And the hard part, and I was just having a conversation with someone who's in Residence Life about this just the other day. The hard part is when it's your time to move up, it's based on what's available. It's not necessarily you know, your dream school or your dream position. It's okay, what's out there this year? Who's retiring this year, et cetera. And I had to move. I lived in, in Phoenix, in Las Vegas. I, I lived twice in Southern California. I lived in Texas. You know, I was I was moving all over the place, and and even with that, I was interviewing at schools in Florida, in Illinois, in Indiana, in in Oregon, and I knew to move up, I had to move on, and I had to move to a new campus, and that's not the same in the corporate world. Now, with that said, certainly there's options outside of the company you go to work for. You know, there's there's thousands of corporations and and companies all across the U.S. and the world that you could pivot to once you pivot into this world. But the the interesting thing is, there's a lot of those types of positions even within the setting that you're in. You know, the company I work for, we've grown to approximately 1,800 employees over the course of the last couple of years. And even in my role, I've changed. You know, I started in corporate higher in corporate learning and development, focused on employees. I then took on customer learning and development. Then I also added customer support. Now I have customer onboarding and then I got customer integrations and at one point I had sales enablement and I got to experience a lot of different things, a lot of different roles as, as I worked within the same company and my skill set really grew and I never once had to move in order to do that. And that's going to be the case for a lot of you. You might go in thinking, I'm going to be the learning and development person and then you wind up being in talent management or you start in sales and you move over to account management or customer success or you're really good at product management. And so you move into that role. You know, I've watched people move in and out of various roles at the company that I'm at, and they never had to move to another company to do that. They never had to move to a different quote unquote campus. And I find that both rewarding and, and fun about the, the environment that we work in because really there's options for you if you are interested in exploring different areas, especially if you move into a startup because startups are just hungry for people that are excited about learning different areas. And similarly to student affairs in startups, you're sort of got to be a jack of all trades. You got to know a little yeah. bit about everything in order to be successful. Jamie, I know you're currently in a startup. What do, you, what do you think about that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and and if you're under the the right kind of leadership, they're not looking at, well, have you done this before exactly like this? They're like, if you're willing to dig in and do this, great, let's get it done. And, and some some things are just as small as like in the beginning, many, many startups don't have full expanded HR departments. And so it's like, oh, well, I'd love to do a leadership training or I'd love to build a, a, a manager sort of training sequence. And so I can help co-lead that. But no, that's definitely been my experience. and. And really the only thing I'll add is that, you know, for, for you, Tom moving across the country, I mean, I actually partly think you just like it. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm just going to choose to move from Washington state to Washington DC. And like, you know, I, I think that's great for you. And, And I acknowledge that some people are in your shoes that, you know, you'd like to be able to choose the move, but at the end of the day, it isn't a huge blocker in your life. Whereas people may be in similar positions like me, you know, my, my parents and my in-laws both live in the same town I live in. And it's very, very important for me that my children know their grandparents. And so I, I really consider myself for the most part location bound. And there's not a lot of universities or colleges where I live. I mean, if you looked where I live on a map, you would see a ton of colleges and universities in Southern California and Los Angeles specifically. But if you've driven by where I live, like Tom has, you know that you do not want to drive from Ventura to L.A. on a daily basis because you're going to be spending about four hours, potentially a day in a car. So anyway, you know, it's a, it's a prohibitor for for many folks, especially, I think, if you do have children or if you have parents that you're also, you know, somehow supporting. So. It's been really great being at at a place where I do feel like I can continuously grow and be challenged. I've been promoted mostly every year as the company has grown. And even recently, again, meeting reaching about my four-year mark, I've recently sort of raised my hand to my boss and said, you know, I think I could take on more. Like I'd like to feel more challenged. Here are some of the things I'd like to do. And I have a meeting now on Monday with someone to talk about. Uh, some other things I might be able to take on. So it's definitely a real added bonus. And let's see, our last few ones that we wanted to cover, I think we could go through relatively quickly that is worth sharing with folks. And um, the next one I wanted to share is just, I and I talked about this on My Practical Pivot, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I've really found that we can just be more direct in in non-campus-based positions than in campus positions. And again, I I think I talked about it a fair amount, but I've really felt like I can can be honest and bring my strengths in a a, using radical candor, caring, and direct way. And I have really appreciated that because I've been able to bring my whole self
1: yeah, I think beyond the communication piece, one of the things that sort of is a good segue to that is the the concept of politics, right? And not the politics that we're talking, you know, what happens every four years at a presidential election, but the politics that happen on a campus or in a company. There are going to be politics no matter where you work. That is the case for sure. Although if you talk to somebody at where I work, one of our mantras is no politics, and yet we have them everywhere. It's it's just different. The politics are very different, you know, in in the corporate setting versus the higher education setting. In the corporate setting, because again, as we've mentioned before, we're extremely results driven. There's there's oftentimes that we can sort of quote unquote be in each other's business because we're we're all sort of marching towards that same goal, right? Um, I'm working towards a goal. The product manager who manages the product that I'm trying to uh, post-sell is marching towards a goal. The account manager is trying to upsell that, that particular account. We're all working together. So you would think, great, there's a lot of symbiotic energy there, but we're also all working towards the same goal, which means we may have different ways of getting there. Where in higher education, I manage the orientation office. Somebody else managed the admission office. Somebody else managed the the scholar office, somebody else managed the student activities office, and I wasn't really concerned what was happening in the student activities office, because I was really concerned about the orientation office. But politics are politics are politics. And and we all know that, you know, there are certainly politics on a campus based position in higher education. Typically, when I think about those types of politics, I think about student affairs versus or maybe just student affairs and academic affairs and business affairs and university advancement you know we're all working towards the same goal which is to make sure the university moves forward but we're all just doing it in different ways
2: yeah i agree so i think we have two more differences that we want to share one is just it's just worth noting i think this is a good thing but crises are different in a non campus based position i mean i worked in residence life so did tom so i feel like we we probably dealt with the worst crises you can see on college campuses, deaths of students, suicide, you know, all of the things that people experience as they're they're living on campus and ex- exploring their youth. But a crisis in a company, it's kind of different. And sometimes like I feel like I'm sometimes the voice of reason with colleagues, like I'm like, you know what, this is super important and I do want to get this resolved quickly. but. You know, quote unquote, like nobody is dying right now. This is work work outable. We can figure it out. And so like I think that's a, a big thing for people to consider because as you do ascend to leadership positions, notably in student affairs, but but you are you do become more responsible for the literal crises on campuses. And that's that's a tough space to be in. And it's nice to be able to ascend in a leadership position and not have that level of crises to deal with.
1: Right. That's a really good point. I always tell, because again, some of you know this from my previous episode, but uh, I oversee customer training and I say all the time, there's no such thing as a customer training emergency. Now, there are many a times where a customer is demanding that we do something in order to make sure that their experience is solid, but it's not typically the same type of emergency that, that we dealt with on the college campus. And finally, you know, sort of a good segue from that is the impact is different. I have shared many a time with colleagues that the thing I loved most about working on a college campus was those light bulb moments when I would watch a student get it, when I would watch a group of students get it. And not to say that, you know, I don't have some of those moments with my colleagues now, but I think we all know it's different. We're watching an 18 or 19-year-old for the first time develop a skill around critical thinking that they didn't have before, and that's because we know from a developmental model that's, that's what's happening when students are in college, and I loved those moments. They were, they were what drove me to work every single day when I worked at a campus, and I certainly have a lot of impact in my role now. I know my colleagues have a lot of impact in their role now, but it's different. I don't see the light bulb moments. I know we're having an impact on our customers when we're doing customer training because they stop attending our training and they start using our platform and we see their usage go up or we see them buy more products. And so for sure, we're having an impact, and we're having an impact on each other, But it's just different. It's a different style of impact. And it's something to to think about as you prepare for a potential pivot from a campus- based position.
2: I would just add, you know, to to this component just that, This is a key thing to consider as you're thinking about pivoting. And what I mean by that is, do you want to pivot to an education-based company where there's likely still some sort of an alignment to your why or less of an alignment to your why, right? You have to reconstruct that. Like Tom could talk about his why and how it does work. He does see learning moments and light, light bulb moments, but there's a bit of a distance from this idea that you're you know, educating youth and changing lives kind of thing. And I think you really need to decide whether that's something you need. And maybe you need to move to try to start with an education adjacent role before moving to corporate to, you know, to make that determination. That's kind of up to you. But I certainly do not feel the same one-on-one impact that Tom describes but I do feel like the impact that I get to make is is different in a more scalable way. Now, you know, I work with thousands of students and, you know, over 30 universities across the U.S. So I feel like the impact is different in that way. But you should think about your why and, and really think about what context you want to be working in, what part of a business sector you might be interested in.
1: Yep. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate you adding to that. So, everyone who's listening, clearly there's differences. What we want to challenge you all to think about is the grass is green on both sides. It's a matter of which pasture you want to take up residence in. You know, one of the things that I think is important is if you're interested in making the pivot out of higher education, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure that you're thinking about making that pivot because you're truly interested in a different type of environment. I realize full well that higher education campus based positions student affairs positions lead to a significant amount of burnout. I know for sure I was tired almost every year after orientation I felt like I needed to go into hibernation mode, but that's not the time to make the decision to leave higher education or to leave a campus based position. Really think through what is it is that you want to achieve with a pivot. Where do you want where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself going? And think about the differences between what you're doing now and what you could be doing in the future. So with that, uh, that will close up our first practical pivot with our advice about the cultural differences between campus-based positions in higher education and corporate-based positions in an elevated office building. So with that, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to our next practical pivot in the next
0: couple of weeks. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.